0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading I Needed a Neighbor by Patricia Sangen with permission of Scripture Union Publications, and we are reading Chapter 15. Merritt and Tickle had settled down to their life in the smaller camp, and in spite of the scorching heat, they were generally happier. They missed the shade of the palm trees and the water holes in the riverbed, but the tents were easier to live in and more orderly than the shelters, and the priest and his wife had allowed them to share their new home. Nearly every morning at dawn, the number in the camp was swelled by the arrival of the lorries, but it never rose beyond 20,000, and in the flatness of that drought desert, at least you could see where the camp started and where it ended. Best of all, as far as merit was concerned, there was Emma. Emma had brown curls, large brown eyes, a tilted nose, and freckles. She worked in the therapeutic feeding center, milk, mixing milk and attending to the weakest babies. Merritt had been drawn to her because she had wept over the brightly-dressed baby, but she had loved her later that same day because Emma had loved Tikla. He had arrived, exhausted from the night in the truck, looking like a tiny gargoyle, and he had eaten and laid down to sleep. He had slept for so long that Emma grew alarmed and came over to look at him. She was only 23 and easily became nervous. She gave him a gentle shake, and he woke and looked up at her, his ugly, bony face breaking into a big smile. For no apparent reason, he stretched out his arms to her and climbed into her lap, and she sat on the floor and cuddled him until he was suddenly sick all down her front. But she did not seem to mind. She laughed and sent Merritt for another cup of milk. For Emma and Tekla, it was love at first sight. Merritt had known kindness all along the way. They had found Uncle Gabriel, who now worked with the doctor, and he was kind in a grave, dutiful way. The, bri- uh, the priest's wife was kind, too, in a fussy sort of way. But Emma's kindness was different. There were dozens of little children in the center, and she was kind to them all. But although probably no one else noticed, Merritt knew that Tikla was special to her. Merritt started to do small tasks for Emma, such as collecting the dirty mugs or digging little holes or mopping the rush mats when the children with dysentery had failed to go outside the shelter in time. Most people thought she was an orderly in training, and had it not been for Tikla, she might have been offered a job. As it was, she simply went on doing all she could for love of Emma. Sometimes at noon, when mothers and babies mostly dozed, Emma would come and sit beside her on the mat and gather tealand to her lap, and Merritt would give her a language lesson. Merritt had started to learn English at school, and she knew a few words. It was wonderful to hear Emma say "Good morning" and drink your milk the right way" in Merritt's own language, And if she said it wrong, Emma would toss back her curls and laugh, and then Merritt would laugh too, and that was good, for it seemed a long, long time since she had laughed. Emma also taught Merritt a few English phrases, and that was good too, for it was months since she had learned anything except sorrow and patience. Weeks passed, and then one day there was a restlessness in the air, hot puffs of wind that lifted the tent flaps, a close, heavy atmosphere and massed clouds on the eastern horizon. The weather was changing. The occupants of the camp lifted up their heads and thought about home. Those in charge looked at the baked earth tracks and thought of truck wheels stuck in the mud. All through the afternoon, the wind rose until it was a tempest no one wanted to face. The mothers in the feeding center had mostly gone to their tents, but Merritt still lingered. Tikla had put on weight, but she herself was still weak and undernourished. She could not run fast through the storm with him, and she looked around for help. Perhaps one of the orderlies would carry him. "'It was Emma who came to the rescue. "'She appeared from the far end of the shelter "'carrying three empty meal sacks "'and put one over her own, her own head and one over Merritt's. "'Then she picked up Tikla, buried his face on her shoulder, "'and covered him with the third sack. "'Now run,' she said, "'and they ran straight into the teeth of the storm, "'almost doubled up because the dust and the grit "'blowing into their eyes was blinding. "'It stung their arms and legs, and Merritt led the way, "'choking and coughing until they all fell through the door of the tent.' Collapsed in laughing. The priest, who had been mumbling his prayers, and his old wife, huddled fearfully in a corner, leaped to their feet in alarm. They could see nothing to laugh at at a storm that drew droughts of dust into the tent, and they were shocked at such merriment. They scowled. But it was difficult to scowl long at Emma. The Land Rover that would take her to the compound would not leave for another half hour, and she was enjoying herself. She could not talk to them, but she cradled. Ticle into her arms and rocked to and fro, singing the songs sung to little children in her country. Merit, in her turn, sang the songs of her mountains, and suddenly the priest's wife stopped growling and joined in, clapping her hands and tapping her feet to the haunting rhythm. Then they all started clapping and tapping, often breaking down in laughter because Emma, however hard she tried, always got it wrong. It was a wonderful evening, and while Emma sat in the tent, they ceased to be afraid of the tempest outside. Even when they had to go, the memory remained like a beacon of hope. In spite of the dark months, they had been happy together. Laughter was not dead, and the old songs had not vanished. Emma covered her head with a sack and was almost carried back on the gale force of the stinging wind. But something had happened to her, too. When she came from the England only a few weeks previously, she had been horrified by what she had seen. She had struggled with depression and homesickness ever since, But that half hour in the tent had somehow been home. Laughter, togetherness, and love. Even that rugged old couple in the corner, clapping and swaying and enjoying themselves, could basically have been her own grandparents. She was beginning to learn that the outward layers can be very deceptive. You have to get down to the colonel, and the colonels are remarkably alike, the world over. Perhaps she need not feel such a stranger any longer. Darkness fell early, and they lay down to try and sleep in the windy darkness, but the storm blew harder and stronger, and the dust and the grit came whistling between the tent pegs piling up beside them. They lay half-stiffed under the blankets, wondering whether the tent would be lifted from over them and waiting for a lull, and it came about midnight. The howling and the whistling died away, and there was a short, uneasy calm, then a quick quick patter of drops on the tent walls and the rain came down in torrents, churning the dry earth to mud, flooding the sanitation trenches, seeping under the tent flaps. Parents got up in the dark and sat on their damp meal sacks, blankets, holding their children in their arms, waiting and praying for morning. For several days the mornings dawned clear and sparkling, but with each afternoon the rain fell in torrents, reducing the great plain to a sea of mud, One area flooded completely, and all the tent dwellers had to evacuate and move in with their already overcrowded neighbors. But the children loved it, and no one could stop them playing in the polluted water, where filth and waste often floated like scum on the surface. Merritt and Tikla continued to splash through the puddles to the feeding center every morning, but Merritt knew that her days there were numbered. Tikla, although still a gaunt and bony four-year-old, was improving fast and would soon no longer qualify for extra food. So she worked hard as she could trying to make herself indispensable to Emma, happy to just be nearer and to sometimes meet her smile. Until one morning when the rains were starting to clear, Emma suddenly ceased to smile. She arrived at the center ashen-faced and tense and hardly seemed to realize that Merritt was there at all. Other workers came in from time to time and they talked in low voices, their faces grave and scared. When Merritt asked Emma a question, she answered gently, but she did not smile. She looked as though she would never smile again. Something was happening. For one thing, the shelter was being hastily constructed some way away from the tents in the center. It seemed as though almost every orderly in the camp was at work on it. Merritt stood watching and wondering why they were in such a hurry. But even before it was finished, while it was still half-roofed, the two still forms on stretchers were carried across to that new shelter. The girls standing with her looked at each other. It's a spreading sickness, they whispered. They're taking them far away. Next morning, when Merritt went to the feeding center, Emma was not there, nor did she come all day. When Merritt questioned the orderly, she said that Emma was working elsewhere. No one would tell her anything more, but rumors were riff and people were afraid. Day after day, they huddled in frightening groups, watching more and more figures on stretchers being carried into that ominous new shelter. Now and again, one was carried out to the far end of the burial ground as though even the dead might be contaminated. Merritt went about in a daze of grief, asking no more questions because she could not bear to hear the answers, for Emma had disappeared, and so surely Emma had the sickness. Perhaps she was already lying under some far heaps of stone where no one was allowed to go. Merritt lay down one evening to sleep because she felt ill. It was still early and Tegla was grumbling beside her because he wanted her to take him out to play but she took no notice, for her stomach seemed knotted up with cramp, and she felt very cold. The priest wife told her to get up and prepare the evening meal, but she took no notice of her either. She turned on her side and drew up her knees, and everything seemed so far away that she could no longer hear what anyone was saying, and she did not care. And then she heard foreign voices above her, and she could not understand their language. Somebody was kneeling beside her, examining her. Yes, it's another case of cholera. Merritt knew it was Peter, the young doctor, speaking. Fetch the stretcher and get her out of here as quickly as possible in the bedding, too. And that kid, take him somewhere else. Merritt could hear Tekla howling as he was taken away, and she felt herself being rolled onto a stretcher. After the darkness of the tent, the golden evening light hit her like a sword, but nothing mattered anymore. Her whole body seemed to be turning inside out, and she could do nothing about it. She was being jogged along, and it seemed to go on for a long time. And then it was almost dark again, and she knew she was being laid down in the new shelter. Soon, no doubt, she would be carried out to the far end of the cemetery, and Tika would have no one. But she could not help it. She was too weak to do anything. Someone was kneeling by her bed, putting a needle in her arm, moistening her lips, tending to her, washing her. She didn't care. They could do anything they liked. Then a voice said, Merit, and she recognized that voice. With an immense effort, she opened her eyes. Emma was beside her in a mask and white cap, but she would have known those brown eyes anywhere. She decided that for Ticla's sake, she would live after all. Tomorrow we will be reading Chapter 16, the last chapter. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.